God, that we would reflect your, your love and your grace to this dying nation, to this dying world. I pray for the people, Lord, of El Paso, and I pray for the people of Dayton, and just pray, Father, that this would be a wake-up call to all of this nation, and Father, people would truly seek after you once more. But God, the only way that's going to do it is through your word and those who preach it. And so, Father, I pray that we would be counted as faithful in all that you've called us to do, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. It's different. Let's see how. We have with us our young theologians this morning. Come on over here, guys, so they can see us. Somebody come over here. Don't fall off the cliff. Over here. Over here, Ben, so people can see your face. Okay, and then the rest of you guys over here. Okay, big guys in the back. Ladies, why don't you guys come right here? You're a tall one. Guys, right here, you guys can, you, you're good, right? Why don't you move up a little bit, Ben? Come on up here. Somebody can stand over there. Just somebody stand over there. <laughs> Who's your parents? <laughs> okay, can you see everybody's face? Can you see mine? Oh. Okay, we have our memory verse and we have our recital. I believe it's every quarter. And today's memory verse is what, guys? Isaiah 53, verse 6. Okay, do you guys know it? Yes. Well, why don't you tell those people when I say three? Ready? One, two, three. Very cool. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be picking back up in verse 18. And as always, there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring a Bible to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Over here. Everybody else is good. I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction, and then we will stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 is where we will start. So the Apostle John has been asking us to evaluate the genuineness of our faith using three main checkpoints. If Salvation is for eternity, and it is only through Jesus Christ, according to the ways that God has dictated to us. It's of utmost importance that we know that we are in the faith, that we know that we are right with him. Along the lines, this has become blurred. It's even become perverted. Men think that there's other ways to come to God but through Jesus Christ, or they attempt to come to God through somebody else who is not a Jesus Christ, well, what is described as an antichrist here even today. And so, are you born again? Again, the Bible does not ask us if we are Christians. The Bible tells us that we must be born again. You may say, yes, I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. What does that really mean? Do you know what that means? Are you able to explain what it means to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in detail? Because if that's what you're basing your Christianity upon, that's of the utmost important. You ought to be able to describe that in detail. 
Well, the Apostle John tells, was, tells us what it means, and again, he uses three main checkpoints. And the first one that he's pointed out, we've looked at it previously in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, but again, one person or a person who is born again will live a biblically moral life one that reflects the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within inside of us and the Word of God as it works through us. Secondly, to have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior means that you will have a sacrificial love for one another. We see this in chapter 2, verse 11. That means as we come here, there is going to be the feeling of family. If you don't have the feeling of family, check yourself. Because if you want a friend, you have to be a friend. And even in the body of Christ, you have to enter into the body of Christ, become part of the fabric of who and what the church is. And then thirdly, thirdly it means that we will keep the doctrines of the Bible as truths of our lives. Now we've already expanded upon the first two points, and it's this third point that we are going to be looking at today in detail. So go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll look at verses 18 through 23. Apostle John writes, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us, but you. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Either he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us your word, and we just pray as we dig into it that you would make our calling and election sure to ourselves. And Father, because of that, we would have a surety and a boldness in our Christian lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So what we're looking at here is the reality of the truths that have been delivered to us by the doctrines contained in the Scripture. There was a time when Jesus Christ was being examined just before his crucifixion. He stood before Pontius Pilate, the representative of Caesar in the area of Jerusalem. And Jesus, as he was being examined, he spoke of truth. And Pilate gave a profound answer to one of the Lord's statements. He says, what is truth? That's what society is trying to determine today. And I don't want to make light of the killings. It was a horrible tragedy that occurred. Two different cities yesterday, El Paso and Dayton. But you see, the truths that the world has developed, what are they doing for them? We live in a fallen society. We have a fallen nature, and there's no doubt about that. And there's always going to be hardship. There's always going to be murders. But we see the things that are happening today are intensifying Well, the Bible says that that was going to happen, but we see, again, as we move away from the truth or biblical morality, we see that people are living more and more according to their own desires and according to the flesh. Well, the agnostic, 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 I'm sorry, not agnostic, the Gnostic of John's day, a Gnostic is one who believes that he is right with God according to his own intellect. An agnostic is somebody who, well, you just can't know God, we don't know, and we don't really care. And so John is addressing the Gnostic of the day, and the Gnostic of the day, through their own intellect, determine their own truth, and were adjusting the word of God to fit their view, to fit their view of what they believed to be right. You know, just like society does today, that we've ignored biblical realities, and so people are developing what they believe to be true today. This is where we get evolution from. If you reject the truth of the scriptures, you got to fill in our existence and the existence of this world somehow, some way. Abortion. If you reject the truth that a child is truly a human being, even in that womb, well, then through your own intellect, you'll kind of brush that away. 
gay marriage, and every other unbiblical thing that the world holds dear. And it has been developed through the intellect of the world. Well, problem, backing up to last week's study, we're told to not to love the world. This is verse 15. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this is the seed of where these beliefs are coming from. They're coming from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And there's a big problem here, verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And this is the will of God. If you reject this, then you're not doing the will of God, and you will perish with the world. If we do the things that are contained here, then as he said, this is the will of God, and we will abide with God forever. And so it's important to understand, I've gone through this list before, it's been quite a while, but answering Pilate's question, what is truth? Well, truth number one is singular. It is singular, it is whole, and it is consistent. It's not fragmented. It is, again, it is complete. A a truth is going to be complete on many other truths will be built upon it. Every truth is always related with every other truth. And if you study creation, as the Bible states, the truth you start out from is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible doesn't ask you a question to start off with. The Bible makes an emphatic statement, a truth statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, a singular statement. Everything else in the Bible is built off of that very first statement. If you can buy into that truth, if you believe that truth, then you'll do well as you go through the rest of the scriptures because, well, you'll understand that a God who created, can't see it, there's a wall there, but God created the mountains that are there or the people that are in here just simply by speaking these things into existence, then you'll realize that, well, he's able to watch over me. He's able to keep me. He has control of my life and the situations and circumstances of my life. If you can't buy into that first statement, then every other truth in the Bible falls apart. And so, again, truth is singular, and that's the singular truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It it, it is whole because everything depends upon that. It's the foundation of our beliefs, and it is consistent in that a truth can never, never change. If a truth changes, then it was not a truth in the beginning. And so every other known truth fits in place from that one united truth statement that is made in the scriptures. All other belief systems, what are they called? They're not called truths. People believe it is truth, but they're called theories, the theory of evolution, because they can't prove evolution. Why can't they prove evolution? It's not truth. And so I I believe that God has displayed himself to me so that I can go back to the beginning of the Bible and see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that. I believe it as truth. Why? How? Because I see the reality of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, I have the opportunity to see the reality of Jesus Christ working in your lives. But even more than that, I've seen Jesus Christ work in my life. I've seen the change that he has brought into my life just simply through the beliefs of the truth of the scriptures. Today, as we are on the day after that great tragedy, we see a society as it is built upon the truths of God, it does well. But when it it, it departs from those truths, it starts to deteriorate, it even falls apart. So what is truth? Number one, it is singular. Number two, truth is objective and not subjective. Truth is as it is and cannot be defined according to what anybody thinks that it should be. Objective, well, when something is objective, it's observed. And that's what we do with the Bible. We open the Bible, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, and I see the truths that are there. To be subjected is to subject, well, then... My truth will be what I determine it to be. Your truth would be what you determine it to be. And the problem is, unless it's the same truth, they're going to clash at some time. We live in what's called the postmodern society. I think it's even gone further than when even that term was first developed. 
but a postmodern society believes that truth is as you think it is. Well, how in the world are people going to be able to cohabitate together with that? What happens if I preached a gospel such as, well, it wouldn't be good news, a doctrine such as that? It is as you think it is. And so you're driving home. Pastor Mike says, it is that I think it is. That'll be my new mantra. And you're driving home. Well, I think, since I'm in a hurry to get home, that red will mean go and go will mean stop or green will mean stop. Well, that doesn't work. Everybody has to believe that red means stop and green means go. Just think of, of the death and the accidents and just what a mess our society would be if everybody made the determination of what color the stoplight should be and what that means. It, it, it would be a madhouse. And that's just kind of just a silly, basic thing. What happens is you start developing into far-reaching areas that humanity just truly depends on truths that we rely upon. The truth of a family, the truth of leadership as the Bible states it, the truth of God's word and the truth of the law as far as the Ten Commandments and that be our moral guidelines, the commandments that God has given us so that we would be able to live in harmony. Again, you start changing even one truth and everything starts to fall apart. Truth cannot be changed, nor is it open to interpretation or opinion. Notice that the Bible tells us truth and does not leave anywhere for our opinion. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. That means as we follow his word, we'll do well. If we veer off, again, you'll see society fall apart. Thirdly, apart from the perspective of the Bible, well, not apart, but from the perspective of the Bible, all truth must come from God. It must come from one source. It's not a collection of good ideas from different people. And so we understand as born-again believers that truth, all truth comes from God. Because according to what we believe, where else could truth possibly come from? Truth must have a source. And God has displayed his truths through his word. And then, fourthly, the truth that comes from God is embodied in three different areas. Number one, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. The Holy Spirit in 1 John 5, 6. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And then the Word of God. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. And so this is how we have an understanding of truth. This is how we know that the Bible is true because the Spirit gives us understanding. He leads us to the Word of God, and the Word of God leads us to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ leads us into the throne room of the Father. And these are truths, and these are reality. And truths are not hidden anywhere, but these are open truths, as I pointed out previously, simply seen to the greater degree through the changed life of the believer. You should be able to go home, look in the mirror, examine your life, and see the truths of your faith. If your faith is unable to change your life, then is your faith truly genuine? Is it built upon truth, or is it built upon a lie? Is that which is being presented as truth, is it for somebody else's benefit? And we see this on TV all the time. People are trying to fleece the flock or build fame for themselves or whatever. Or, does the truth point to the source of truth, our God? And that's what it is designed to do, so that when we have situations and circumstances that we don't understand, we can rely upon the truth that all things are still working together for the good and the glory of our God. And we can have strength in this present day, especially when we hear on the news the things that are going on throughout, really, the whole world. And God would continue to use his church and be glorified through it. History tells us that Pilate, this man who did not understand truth, he committed suicide. Somewhere what he perceived as truth was betrayed. Or maybe he just chose to remain ignorant. And he came to a situation in his life when he was removed from being Pontius Pilate that he committed suicide and his world fell apart. You must have something. You must have structure. You know, look at a kid, raising a kid, discipline and structure. And discipline and structure needs to be built upon the foundations of truths, the things that we teach our children. 
but even in my life as a 62-year-old, I've got to have these foundations because if the foundations crumble, what is the righteous able to do? If for somehow, some way, you convince me that this isn't true, then everything I believe falls apart and my life falls apart as well. But I understand and I know in whom I believe and where I have placed my trust. Do you? And I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus Christ. And it's the reason that Christ came, so that we would understand the truths of God. Because man did not have a full understanding until Christ came. Why? Because he is the image of the invisible God. As you know the Son, you know the Father. That's why Jesus is referred to as truth. His word is referred to as truth. And the spirit that he sent is referred to as truth. Proverbs fourteen twelve. And this is a truth for sure. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. And he's talking about any perceived way that mankind has developed other or contrary to the ways that God has sent forth. You can ask Pontius Pilate. You can ask the people of our day. Again, you have the actor, you have the athlete, you have whoever. And you see these people and how hard they work. And they have that carrot that is dangled, that carrot of fame or fortune, whatever it might be, is dangled before them. But it's never there where they're able to grab onto it or obtain it. It's as if it keeps getting drawn further and further away. And those who believe that they have obtained it, they find that it's simply empty. What is an actor working towards? He's working towards fame and fortune. But what happens when he gets fame and fortune? He moves into a gated community and you know, pays for security guards to keep these people away from him. And then, unfortunately, when fame and fortune are insufficient, a lot of times you see drugs, alcohol, relationships, and unfortunately, again, even suicide. I don't remember the name of the person. He was a guitar player for the band Chicago. And he had written some hits, and you know this was at the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. And I think this was in 78 or so, things just kind of fell apart for him. He was unable to write any more hit songs and all of that, and he fell into despair, and he committed suicide. And you see things like that happen time and time again. It's because they realized this which seemed like such a profound truth as they obtained it, they realized it was just, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, vanity or a vapor. There was no substance in it, and it can do nothing for us. Verse 18 Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. John reverts back to what we saw a couple of weeks ago in verses 12 through 14. This time, though, instead of little children, young men, and and the elders, he's addressing all as little children. Keep in mind, the apostle John, he was an elder's elder. And so as he spent time with Christ, he understood the position that God had given him and the responsibility. It's why he's writing this epistle, and he understands that God has put him in this place of authority. And so that's what he's doing. It's not a prideful thing. He's just simply putting himself in the place of authority because he has a responsibility in the sight of God, and he's referring to everybody else just simply as little children or those who are not quite as mature on the road to maturity, but those who aren't there yet. He's wanting to to teach and train the body of Christ. We are all little children before the Apostle John as the Holy Spirit is working through him even today. And he says, it's the last hour. The last hour or the last times. This is the period between Jesus' rising into heaven and his second coming. And you say, last hour? It's been over 2,000 years. Well, the last hour, the idea is that all the dispensation and everything that God has done, working in creation and and showing us uh, Israel and the development of Israel and the release of Israel from Egyptian captivity, the establishment of Israel, and how he worked in and through Israel. We just finished 2 Chronicles a couple of months ago and saw uh, Babylonian captivity and the work that God was doing, but also their release, the reestablishment, the coming of Jesus Christ, the 
death upon the cross and how he dealt with sin. And then there was the death and the resurrection. And now we are in these last times. Creation would be the first times. These are going to be the last times, the last age. Now, I know there's going to be the millennial age after uh, Jesus' second coming, but the world as we know it today, these are definitely the last times. How long are the last times to be? Well, we've seen in Second Peter that one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years one day to the Lord. God is beyond time constraints. We are to be busy doing God's work, understanding that these are the last times. The last times, they may still last for another hundred or so years. I don't know, but Jesus may come back tomorrow, too. He may come back for his church tomorrow, which is a definite possibility. As we read God's word, we see everything lines up according to what he says. And so this is the church age where the preaching of the gospel will increase, but also the work of the evil one will increase as well. Yesterday, my wife and I, we went to the supermarket. We'll go to Trader Joe's, and Trader Joe's, they train their people to ask, so how's your day going? What are you doing tonight? What are you doing tomorrow? And we go, my wife's real good about striking up these conversations. I like bagging the groceries, but I just, for some reason, I just like bagging the groceries. But anyway, I always wanted to be a grocery bagger when I was in high school, and I never could be, so I'm just living precariously through uh, Trader Joe's. They don't pay me, but nonetheless... Actually, I pay them, so I don't even know how this works. But anyway, we were at the cash register, and he asked, so what are you guys doing this weekend? And my wife, real quick, said, we're going to church tomorrow. He goes, oh, I used to go to church. And my wife says, you don't go anymore? And he says, no. And she says, why? And we get into this great conversation with this person. He didn't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there's opportunities. There's always opportunities if you look for them and you see them to make conversation and to insert the gospel. To, just to plant seeds or even a, just a small open door in order for you to stick your foot in or at least your voice in because these are the end times and the gospel must go out and as Paul said in Romans chapter 10 how are they going to know without a preacher now he didn't say how are they going to know without a pastor was how will they know without somebody who proclaims proclaims the word of God and you are the ones who've been called to proclaim the word of God. Now, in order to reach that end, because I think one of the shameful things in the church today is that the ladies are better doing this than the men. You've heard, well, women are just more spiritual. Well, they are, but that's because the men have made the determination to be less spiritual. And so in order to meet that desire of God, our small groups this year on Tuesday night, I am going to be teaching on discipleship how to disciple, how to teach and train others. Um, it's going to be on Tuesday night. I'll be meeting with the men, just see how many sign up, even if there's just one other one. Well, then I'll just disciple him. But we're going to be going through a manual, and I'm going to be discipling the guys for the purpose of being disciplers, that you would go out and you would disciple your wife, that you would disciple your children, that you would disciple the guy over at Trader Joe's because he still needs it, and whoever it is. Wherever it is that we come in contact, that we're able to share the Word of God. I mean, what if somebody would come up to you today and say, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? Are, are you able to give them an answer? Hey, I got saved the other day. What do I do now? Are you able to give an answer? And men, if you have to go ask your wife what the answer is, that's our, to our shame. Jude chapter 17, verse 19 says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there will be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. And we see that big time, especially in what is referred to as churches, people who are members of those churches and even the guy who stands behind the pulpit. I remember in the early 2000s, Kurt Warner, he was a quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams and later on for the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Somebody was writing an article about him and he says, this guy's always sharing his faith. And I don't believe what he says, but the one thing is you can't deny he believes it. Because I, this writer is saying, I've seen these guys, I've seen how famous they are, I see how they live, and I see just the depravity in which they practice and all of these things. But he says, this guy is the real thing. 
And so he saw in this man, Kurt Warner, a man, and I don't know Kurt Warner, but a man who lives his faith. And this man was impressed by that. And so Kurt Warner had that guy's attention. I don't know whatever became of that guy. But as we go and as we live a life that honors Jesus Christ, there's always opportunity in that, especially as the world sees that their perceived truth is starting to fall apart. Things are going to get better. I got to believe it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. The Beatles wrote in the 60s. Things haven't gotten better. Things aren't getting better. And guess what? Things are not going to get better. They talk about a time when disease goes away. Well, diseases seem to be multiplying. Talking about world peace. We don't have world peace. We never have world peace. And we're never going to have world peace. Racial harmony. We don't have racial harmony. We need to be colorblind. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think we should be colorblind. I think we should rejoice in the way God has created all of us because there's beauty in everybody. We can't just ignore. I can't ignore how God made me. Bald people. I think bald people are great. You people with hair, I like people with hair too, especially my wife. You know, just outward appearance, but the problem is we exalt ourselves based upon something, and if my outward appearance is different from somebody else, then I'll exalt myself according to that. And how's the racial harmony thing going? It's not going very well. It better be going well in the body of Christ, but out in the world, it's not. All of these, these, these things, that, these truths supposedly that they're depending upon and what they're desiring, they're out there, but they can't grasp upon them because they're going about it the very wrong way. And as they're going about it the wrong way, you're going to see these things fall apart. And so why this two-minute drill for the last 2,000 years? Why has the Spirit allowed the church to believe throughout the age that it was living in the last days? Well, God knows how you are. God knows that on April 15th, there will be long lines around the post office, even up until midnight. He knows that you're going to wait to the night before to pack for vacation. How many times have you heard somebody, or maybe you said it, yeah, we're leaving for two weeks tomorrow, man, I got to go home and pack. He knows that the people of the church are going to wait for last minutes to sign up for the couple study or the retreats or whatever it might be. He knows that we're procrastinators and wants the church to sense the urgency of this all because lives are hanging in the balance. And the first life that hangs in the balance is your own. Oh, that you would know that you are born again. And I quoted it earlier, 2 Peter 3 eight. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And again, the idea there is God is not constrained by time. He created time. He lives outside of time. And so God has got his own schedule and how he is going to work, how he is going to move. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Now, first of all, he brings up, and John's the only one who uses this term, the Antichrist. Now, if you look in your Bible, the first mention of Antichrist, when he says you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, that's capital A because it's referring to a specific person. So he's saying the Antichrist that we see in the book of Revelation, he is coming. So the end times are coming. They are a reality. But we are not going to be looking at this one in the scriptures because John isn't that we're looking at right now. He says, even now, many small a, many antichrists have come. These are just descriptions. It's not a personal pronoun. It's just a description of these people who he refers to as antichrists. These are those who have existed from John's time to our day, even today. The Antichrist will claim, the man who is the Antichrist in the future, will claim that he is Christ. The Antichrists of today will claim another Jesus or means of spiritual knowledge. Antichrist means other than Jesus Christ. These Antichrists are other than anointed ones. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But in 2 John verse 7, it says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not, look at this verbiage, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
Any man who stands behind a pulpit and preaches himself or anybody else is an antichrist. Anybody who goes out there with a false doctrine that is not of the scriptures, that is not true, they are antichrist. People will say of another belief system, whoever it might be, the guy at uh, Trader Joe's was speaking about Muslims and why can't they go to heaven and these things. Well, it's all built upon the Antichrist. It will not get anybody to heaven because it is not based upon biblical truth. Matter of fact, it is based upon that which is contrary to biblical truth. They will cause people to worship an unbiblical Jesus, cause people to give of their substance for personal gain. And we've seen in the past people, Jim Jones moved to Guyana and 3,000 people died. There was that one cult in San Diego, well, about 20 years ago now. They were waiting for a comet to come and take them off into heaven or something like that. And they all died as well. They all committed suicide. The Bible describes them as liars, deceivers, and loudmouth boasters. Mark 13, 22, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And that's a sign of the end time. So instead of things getting better, things are going to get a lot worse. Matter of fact, to such a degree, once again, 2 Peter chapter 3, where the Lord is going to destroy this world and bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, in order to deceive people, they will perform lying wonders, you know, these perceived healings and so on and so forth. But in actuality, that's all they're doing is deceiving people. They're liars and they're really, really good at it. You know, like their father, the devil, who is the father of lies. That's how Satan has been working since day one. We saw this last week uh, when we looked at Eve and how the devil tempted Eve. The devil continues to work the same way, taking that which is perfect, the truth, and perverting the truth. And he perverts it just a little bit, just a little bit in order to deceive, but a little bit is enough. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. people leave the church and you can have this mindset, well, if they were of us, they wouldn't have went out from us, but that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about a church, it's talking about the church. These people have gone out from the church. They've gone out from the doctrines of the church. They've gone out from the ways of the church that Christ have established. And again, John, who he is writing to, they've gone according to their own intellect, according to their own ways. When it says that they are manifested, that the idea is is that they are revealed. If you want to know if somebody's a, a biblical teacher, you know, you, you've heard the things against Benny Hinn, you've heard the things against Mormonism, you've heard the things against Joel Olstein, and you can look at these people and you can say, well, they're really nice people, and what they're saying is really makes me feel good and all that, but is it biblical? That's why before service, we, if anybody here has arrived today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. But there should be one in front of you under the seat, underneath the seat. But if there's not, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring one to you. The idea is so that you can see that what I'm saying is built upon truth. And so you can't judge the package. You have to get in deep and you have to understand the core of what is being said. And if it lines up with Scripture, then it is of God. If it doesn't, and if it doesn't just in small different places, it's of the Antichrist. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, another reason for me to do the discipleship class, 2 Timothy 2, 15, be diligent. And I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're at church today. You people who are watching online get to church. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How do I present myself approved to God? He says a worker who does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of God, right, bleh, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm approved to God when I rightly interpret the Bible. That's why I'll go to uh, cross-references. You can see I'm not just bringing some new thing, but the Bible supports what it said. Somebody last week says, I like how you go to the Old Testament. Well, the truth should flow throughout the whole scriptures. And so the things that I see in the Old Testament, what do I call the New Testament? We're in the Old Testament and I go there. It's a commentary. The, the New Testament is the best commentary on the Old Testament and vice versa. And so you see that if there's a truth presented in either of them, it should be backed up in the other as well. Verses 20 through 21. But you, 
and he's talking to the church here, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. That word anointed, probably one of the words that is most abused within what is called the church today. It's important to know, it's important to understand what it is and what it means. The Antichrist of today have had a field day claiming to be the anointed of the Lord. Thou shalt not touch the anointed of the Lord. Well, you're claiming yourself to be the anointed of the Lord but usually they're anointed of the Antichrist. And they'll even say that God has revealed special knowledge to them and all of that. Study to present yourself approved. A worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. If you stay with the word of God, you will do well because you'll recognize a false teacher because he'll be bringing something new that is not according to the word. If you need the watchtower, if you need the Book of Mormon, if you need the Pearl of Great Price or any other thing in order to understand the Bible, that is of the Antichrist. You do not need that. We are told in Jude 3, there's only one chapter, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, so Jude was going to write about salvation, but then he saw these heresies entering into the church. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting to you, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. One time, through the Lord Jesus Christ. It was delivered for all, everybody then and everybody today throughout the age. There's nothing new. John Corson is fond of saying, if it's new, it's not true. If it's not true, it's new. And so we have everything that's necessary. It's not that, you know, the, the views and society as it has changed and morphed is taking God by surprise. Oh my gosh, I got to change the word because these people are, well, they've changed. No, man hasn't changed. They're sinners and they're in need of a savior. And so God's word is consistent and it is true. Now to understand verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now in the Old Testament, we see the anointing of the person who was to do the work of God, either the king or the priest. What did they do? Samuel came to David and what did he do? He cracked open the flask and poured the oil over his head. And when um, Aaron and his sons were going to be priests, as they were starting these things out, they were anointed for the priesthood. The oil was cracked over their head, and it filled their body, and it had an aroma. And when people would smell that aroma, that aroma would be unique for that which was for the service of God. Now, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The king, if he was to properly govern his people, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the priest, if he was going to properly minister to the people, he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember Christ, he recited this in Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of God, the Lord God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has set me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And then Acts chapter 10 verse 38 backs this up. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. That's important to understand. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means literally Yahweh saves, but it was a common name. What is Christ? Remember, Christ wasn't his last name. Christ is his title. Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, it means anointed one, the one who is anointed. What are we? We're Christians. We're anointed ones. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to get into that. Ladies, you'll know this, and you can explain it to the men later on, because that's what they're studying on Tuesday morning and Tuesday nights. But this is the Holy Spirit as he comes. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. This is the Holy Spirit as he comes inside of us at the moment of salvation. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. So again, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We know that that occurred. It doesn't occur with everybody at their baptism, but with Jesus it occurred at the time of his baptism. 
So now we have his name, Jesus, and we have his title, Anointed One. So it's important to understand that in order to understand what is being said here. But you, verse 20, so he's speaking to us now. But you, but you people of Calvary Chapel, Ontario, who are sitting in the morning service on this fine day, uh, what are we, August 4th, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. The Holy One. The Holy One we know to be Messiah, the Christ, or Jesus, who is, again, the Anointed One. Luke chapter 4, verse 34, saying, Let us alone, these are the demons as Jesus is confronting them in the Gadarenes, saying, Let us alone, what do we have to you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus did not deny it. So John is writing to Christians, us, and he refers to us as ones being anointed by the Holy One or by Jesus Christ. And so, verse 20, but you have an anointing, this is a filling of the Spirit, the Spirit as it dwells from us, from the Holy One. So the day, again, Ephesians chapter 1, when you receive Jesus Christ, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and that's the guarantee or the proof of our salvation. And he says that we know all things. What are the things that we know? Well, in John 16, 13, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so the things are the things from God. And so, I'm an anointed one, but so are you. Don't let anybody tell you that they're anointed one thinking that they're special. It should be a common thing in the body of Christ. And that anointing, it comes from Jesus Christ on the day that we were saved. That's how we know it's one of the proofs of our salvation. And because of that, I have an opportunity to know all things. So how do I know all things? I don't know everything on the day I was saved. No, you get into the Word and the Spirit gives you understanding. And if you forget, he says, I'll even bring it back to your remembrance. But you've got to put forth the effort. And he'll give you understanding and he'll give you wisdom in his word and he'll give you application. So that when you have Uncle Harry, and Uncle Harry again is that raging heathen, and as you open your mouth and you speak to him, God is going to fill your mouth. He's going to enable you. This is why we have Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, so we would be well prepared for every good work. So the things, the things are the truths of God. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So it's important to understand that not all pastors, not all preachers, not all people who say that they are Christians or anointed ones are. Some of them are really antichrist or anti-anointed or other than anointed. They are those who do not possess the Holy Spirit. And if you do not possess the Holy Spirit, you're speaking according to your own intellect and by the ability of your own flesh. And the problem is human intellect and human flesh will always fail. That's why it was necessary for Jesus Christ to come and to die upon the cross. Those who do not adhere to proper biblical doctrines are antichrist, not anointed, and again, do not possess the Holy Spirit. Those who adhere to proper biblical doctrine are of Jesus Christ, seen through the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so that was the third proof of salvation. Do you see the importance of doctrine, proper biblical doctrine, the truth, and to understand that the Bible is the truth? And because it's truth, to receive it into your life and live it accordingly? Because those who don't are not of the Lord. Those who don't do not possess the Holy Spirit. The verse I've been alluding to, Ephesians 1.13, In him, in Jesus Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The idea is, is that you were signed, sealed, and delivered to God. And so you can see what John was talking, I'm sorry, Peter was, 
Paul was talking about in the first part of Ephesians and how it joins up with 1 John and how we can look at the Old Testament and how you can take just about every page on this Bible and see how it's intertwined with every other page on this Bible and how the truth flows and how this truth has not changed for thousands of years, nor will it ever, nor will it ever become obsolete nor will it ever become that which is not mighty to save a life, to change a soul, and to bring them into the gates of the kingdom of heaven. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us these truths and the reality of them. And I just pray, Father, for every person in this room. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's not sure, if there's anybody here who maybe is sure that they're not saved, God, and they desire what you have, have, Lord, I just pray that you would impress upon their heart. First of all, they need to repent. They need to repent. They need to come to an understanding. You need to come to an understanding that you're a sinner. And you need to repent of that sin. It's to be sorry for the sins that you commit, but it's to have a desire to change. And then it's to come to Christ. And we come to Christ through the word. We come to Christ through prayer. We develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe I should say Jesus Christ develops a relationship with us. And it's then that we understand the magnitude of our Savior and what he has done and how he is truly mighty to save. And Lord, I just pray that you would impress upon every heart here, regardless of how long they've been coming to church, that God, your arms are held wide. And Father, maybe there's those who have backslidden or whatever and just aren't sure. Make your calling and election sure today. This is something that you do deep down in your heart. This is something that that happens within your soul, that place where just you and God commune. And it's a beautiful act that God does in each and every one of our lives. And so I just want right now just to give an opportunity, not for salvation, but because of salvation. If just right now you've repented of your sins, if just right now you you realized how far from God you were, and just right now you desired to have that fellowship with God, Just raise your hand. Again, you're not raising your hand for salvation, but because of the work that God does in you. I see your hand off to my left and yours off to my left and yours in the back to my left. Is there anybody else? This is an expression of your salvation, of what God has done. Is there anybody else who just wants to make this outward confession of their faith? Just lift. If you're in the fellowship area, you can lift your hand there. I see your hand off to my right. Your hand here in the front. This is confirming these things that you no longer want to play the game, but you want to get into the game and you want to be an integral part of what God has called you to do. Anybody else before we finish? I see your hand here before me. Anybody else? Don't let these moments get past you. There's a holy moment that God, that God honors. You can put your hands down. Father, you've seen the hands that have gone up before you, God, and it's not the raising of the hand that saves a soul, but it's an outward expression, God, of what you're doing within our, or what you have done within our hearts. And I pray for those who lifted their hands and pray, Father, as they, 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 they came to the realization, Father, of truly how you work in an individual life, I pray, Father, that they would live that outwardly all the days of their life. Lord, again, not a person was saved because they raised a hand, but because we recognize we were sinners, because we repented of our sins, and because we entered into Jesus Christ. And because of that, Lord, we just rejoice. We rejoice this day and so many other days. And so, Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. We thank you, Father, that you're mindful of us as individuals and you're mindful of Calvary Chapel, Ontario. Father, I pray that you would continue to do a good work here that honors and glorifies yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things. We got some some prayer requests. First of all, Donna. Donna was 